Hi, uh, welcome to the show. How about you guys introduce yourself? Hi there. Uh, I'm Nathan Dvorak. Uh, I'm the lead designer and uh, for Thrive Games. Hey, I'm Michael Huynh. I'm the lead developer for Thrive Games. Okay, and what, what is Thrive Games about? Uh, well, Thrive Games, it's primarily about uh, just bringing fun back. I mean, bringing fun to what it used to be, um, reliving the past and bringing it back to a contemporary context. And, and what does that exactly mean? <laughs> um, so, I mean, if we're looking at, looking at our uh, project right now uh, called Dragon of Legends, the, the main influences behind that game are kind of like uh, Golden Axe and Secret of Mana. So we grew up playing like Super Nintendo and all of those like really, <laughs> you know, classic games. And we feel that that kind of like magic in games has been lost. So at Thrive Games, we're basically trying to reinvigorate that, but for the new um, modern audience to enjoy and, uh, you know, appreciate and, and I mean, wh why would you say that, that that stuff from the 90s has gotten lost? What, what do you see now in games that, that could potentially turn you off? Or did you feel removes the spirit of what those, those previous games? Yeah, um, so just myself personally, uh, I just feel that games are kind of heading into kind of a more kind of a casual-based setting. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... If you just look at it for basically marketing and business, uh, <laughs> companies are shifting to this casual, um, casual kind of uh, means of developing their products to appeal to a mass market and get more people to play their games and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in that process, it's just feeling like something is lost. Like there's these core mechanics that we grew up playing and loving and wish that these developers would continue innovating upon have just been scrapped to get something quick out the door that more and more people will be able to buy and consume and stuff like that. And that's just basically my own take on it. Like, what do you think, Mike? Well, I, I still enjoy playing a lot of games, uh, but lately it's been like pretty much the same games like done again and again, like all the battlefields and all the like Call of Duties. It's, it's, yeah. It, it seems like originality is like somewhat gone in gaming, and like back in the console in the like ninety console days, there was like constant new innovations with like uh, shoot 'em ups and side scrollers, and like for instance in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, when like, you first threw one of those foot soldiers at your screen, you're like whoa, because you've never seen that before. I think everyone's like kind of used to seeing the same old things. Yeah. Well, part of it is because. It's it's really risky to try and create something new, right? And and even even if you look at your current project, it's a throwback to the '90s. It isn't necessarily that you're potentially going to invent new systems and mechanics, right? So I feel like most most people in general, whether it's even today or even before it, we just maybe gaming isn't for new stuff. It's just for nostalgia. I mean, I don't. What what are your thoughts on that? That's interesting because, um, you know, just when you talk with anyone, uh, for example, who grew up playing video games, everyone has that kind of story they can reminisce about saying like, oh, I remember when I was playing Double Dragon in the arcade for the very first time. <laughs> Pumping cord, yeah. that thing. And I mean, 
everybody is kind of wanting that same feeling again. Yeah. So it's if if turning to gaming is a just a way of uh, some kind of nostalgic release. Uh, I don't know. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, because the the way I see it, and once again, this is this is to make it an interesting show. It's not to attack or anything else. But um, the way I see it is that because I because I've heard this that oh, indie game development is this, indie game development is that, and then you hear about people who are saying, well, back in the day. And by the way, you're the next generation. Like I. You may have noticed this show has been going on for a long time, mm. and so, um, so before people we like we have to bring back the '80s games. Yeah. So, so now it's the '90s games. But what, <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you? And and you know, part of it is the nostalgia. Because think about it, like with cars, like what was it like twenty years ago or thirty years ago that the adults of then would be like, "Oh man, remember those '60s cars? I yep. need to get one of those." Right, and unlike unlike the '60s cars, where it was just a, a scare, scarcity of the type of car, with games, it's a feeling which can be replicated by software. Right, so it isn't like you have to run back and try to get that cartridge. You know, I, if you understand what I'm saying, like absolutely, that experience isn't necessarily a physical thing, and so as long as you can replicate that experience, that's fun. And so, so do you feel that this is? really about your studio do you feel that it's really about against current current games or it's just a throwback to previous games which is kind of like what what's happening already with with all the like call of duty 10 or call of duty 20 or whatever it is mm-hmm. well originally like when we had this idea of making dragon legends it was just to make a fun game that like we both recognize like you know from our childhood but, yeah. like, in a modern take with, like, multiplayer and, like, different things that, like, we thought that would be, like, awesome to see in, like, a retro kind of game. Yeah, and that's, so that's what I was going to mention. Like, change the industry. It was just to make oh, yeah, a yeah. game. Well, that's what I was going to mention is that what would be interesting is that taking those previous games and then maybe overlaying or even adding some of the new systems and mechanics that weren't even possible then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk about multiplayer now. Local multiplayer was definitely possible then, and that's you know a lot of these arcade machines that you know. But but having like a global multiplayer or even you know like you know internet or mobile, all these things may have may add to the experience that you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, just, just going with that. I mean, it's because this is kind of the approach we're taking with our project. I uh, just with multiplayer alone, um, we're approaching that. It's going to be cross-platform. So, I mean, when I say cross-platform, that doesn't mean we're just making ports and then you're playing solely on that ported copy. We're saying that there's going to be uh, interaction between all devices. So, I'm sitting on my PC, Mike's here on his uh, iPad, iPad, and then you action are going to be on your, what, your Samsung Galaxy or something? (laughs) Yeah. And we're all going to be able to play together. So, I mean... Back in the day, was that a possibility? Absolutely not. Yeah. So we are trying to embrace the new modern uh, innovations. I'm going to say of you know contemporary game design and development, and just you know kind of add these lighthearted pixel art graphics on top of that. Okay, and that's that was another thing I was going to bring up. Is do you feel that those pixel graphics are important, or do you feel that you need to embrace some of the newer? newer styles or, or current styles what are your thoughts on that um yeah so like the, the actual art design that we have right now um it's kind of 
it's our take on what an JRPG would look like, but meshed with the contemporary pixel art of today. So this is how we answered that question of what that kind of game would look like. And then incorporating the gameplay mechanics, as I said earlier, of Secret of Mana and Golden Axe, we just think that uh, this kind of aesthetic really just blends nicely with that kind of uh, gameplay and gameplay mechanics because it does go back to the nostalgic factors of the past, absolutely, but just if we were running around in full 3D with this kind of game that we have designed and imagined, it really wouldn't work. So it's just our own uh, personal design uh, choices in the project itself. And and for the audience out there, I know we kind of inferred what you're working on. Can you clarify what um, Dragon of Legends is? And um, I guess the goals. I know I know you mentioned some of the goals, but um, is there anything else you want to add to it? Because I know the multiplayer was something that I didn't even know about <laughs> until you mentioned it. Because <laughs> oh, okay. uh, I watched the video. I watched the Kickstarter video and stuff like that. And so, um, yeah, if you could continue. <laughs> Yeah, uh, absolutely. So just basically um, for everyone that's listening out there, um, Dragon of Legends is a online action role-playing game um, that's heavily influenced by Celtic and Norse mythology. Um, and uh, just one second here. Sure. And basically, uh, the main goal with this project is, as we were talking about earlier, is uh, cross-platform play. So we were talking about that kind of uh, just playing with everybody, playing with your friends and stuff. And that's one of the main uh, selling points we wanted to talk about or, or uh, to just stress with the project. Um, okay. And Mike, did you want to go in more? Or? No, I think you said it all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just basically brief storyline. So basically... Um, Dragon of Legends, so obviously there's going to be a really badass dragon in this story we have planned. So basically what's going on in this world, the world is called Havamal, and uh, that's actually uh, an epic Norse poem that was one of the earliest uh, recorded poems in the Poetic Edda, and that was kind of the inspiration for the name of this world. It literally means uh, the words of Odin. So we thought that was kind of fitting for our uh, our name, uh, the name of our world. But basically, uh, there's this great dragon, and he breathed life into this world of Havamel, and now he's pissed. Um, why? Well, Loki has been sitting underneath uh, the great mountain for what seems as an eternity, and now he's trying to get out. So you, as a player, have to stop him. And that's basically where our uh, story begins. Okay. And and where does the multiplayer stuff come into it? Um, so basically, um, we were talking about the modern advancements of today and stuff like that. So basically, um, we're trying to incorporate the uh, grouping and uh, uh, yeah, the grouping co- mechanics of like a product like World of Warcraft, for example. So okay. there's going to be uh, instance-based dungeons that you're going to be able to group up with your friends, uh, your guilds, and then basically go on these uh, self-contained adventures and progress through them as you would in a game similar to the, uh, to to WoW. <laughs> okay, and so is it fair for me to say it's a 2D online MMO? Or, or is it going to be a different type of technology? Like, you know, 
like where it's just local multiplayer versus online global multiplayer? So uh, primarily it's going to be online multiplayer and it's, it's also going to be, uh, well, yeah, it's just the wording with MMO we are trying to stay away from. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Because we're an indie studio, uh, yeah. so when people hear that an indie studio is making an MMO, that instantly brings up red flags. So okay. that being said, we are kind of uh, leaning towards more of a layout, such as like Guild Wars, for example, if you've played that one, yes. where kind of a, a hub-based world, and then you have branching areas that you can explore and whatnot. And um, we're just deciding to go in that route because in terms of scale uh it it's going to make the game a lot easier to make and we're going to be able to play it a lot sooner so that's just uh that's just uh, some thoughts on that yeah so are you going to have um multiplayer a la clash of clans or, or how is that going to exactly work oh okay um yeah, so multiplayer basically is going to be just uh, online. Uh, I mean, it's you said Clash of Clans for an example, so yeah. that's kind of like uh, I would classify that as is that asymmetrical online play. I, you mean a- asynchronous? Asynchronous, yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, um, so Dragon of Legends is not like that at all. Um, okay. When you're in the game world, you're going to be uh, interacting with players in real time. And uh, just basically uh, going through the dungeon content and all of these adventures in real time. So, um, yeah, that's just one of the features we wanted to uh, stress about the product there. And what what technology are you going to be using to develop this? So, Mike is better. So, the game is uh, primarily written in Java right now. Okay. Uh, we're using the uh, like the Java lightweight game library with the libgdx framework okay and 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 so they have something that will make it easy to run on ipad and and android and stuff like that or yeah so okay. the libgdx framework the beauty of that is it's it is cross uh platform compatible with uh ios and android okay. and it'll run on desktop of course with linux and uh os x what about uh, what, did you consider Unity or some of these other tools that are also emerging, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, we had a long debate whether to use Unity or not, right? Yeah. And uh, I've used so many different, like, uh, graphic engines and game engines, right? Yeah. And, like, my background is I'm a software developer. I, I went to, like, University of Waterloo, and, like, I did computer science there. Yeah. So I came from that route into, like, uh, video game and software development, right? Yeah. And all my contacts and all the friends were used to using Java or like, you know, direct language based platforms. Okay. And so, so that's so that's what inspires you to, to to do Java versus Unity because potentially because of your experience and also your network having experience with using Java. Uh yeah. Um okay. and also uh like nowadays, uh like Java's become really popular because of Minecraft. Yeah, you know, and, and I think that's that's interesting is that Minecraft really rewrote the rules whereas everyone was using all these other types of pre-made libraries and whatever and engines and 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 to have a big hit like that done in Java is amazing so um okay so so you've decided on Java and do you feel there are any going to there going to be any performance issues or anything else 
related to Java on some of these platforms? Well, it is it's a two D game, so there's it's not going to be yeah. taxing the like the processor or the GPU as much as like you know like a Minecraft, for instance, right? Yeah. Uh, but it is in Java, so we're going to have like user generated content like Minecraft, where people make their own mods and their own like uh, items and and uh, dungeons and stuff like that. Okay, and and what's going to be the development process? Are you going to try to perfect it before you release it, or is it going to be more of a you iterate and keep on just keeping like maybe your core community giving you feedback as you iterate and develop it or what, what are your thoughts on that? So um, for user generated content, we are going to do a, a form system, a voting system for uh, new features and items and gear. And we're going to try to reward the people that generate these contents. Are the, are the tools for the user-generated content, is it going to be something where they have to do it in Photoshop, or are you going to provide the tools inside the game to create the content? For, like, uh, basic items and, like, uh, characters, we'll provide, like, the spreadsheets and uh, the items themselves. Okay. And uh, when do you expect this, this game to be released? Um, well, that's, that's all dependent on our Kickstarter campaign, which is going to be heading out on uh, January 19th for all those listening. Um, but basically, it's uh, if we reach our goal of what we set, um, we're saying that we will be able to reach Steam Early Access or an open beta state um, by six to eight months after receiving that initial funding. So that's basically our timeline there. Okay. And between... And, and what, I guess what else are you going to be doing to help promote promote the game? Because one thing about indie games now is it seems like, like there's so many studios coming out and it seems like a lot of them are... There's a, like a lot of vying for attention. So, so what are your thoughts on that? Do you feel that, that it's still possible for indie developers to make it happen? Or, or what are your thoughts? I mean, I hope so. Uh, we're in the thick of it right now, right? Um, yeah. So just basically, you saw the uh, the content that I provided with you. So basically, right now, we have a little promo advertisement that we're running right now, which is just 20 seconds, kind of getting a, a little taste of what's in store. Um, so in terms of marketing, we have that running on Facebook right now. So we're just doing a promoted ad there. Um, but then in the meantime, um, we're just reaching out to pretty much everywhere and anywhere we can think of. So we're reaching out to our local newspapers, um, basically everywhere online we can think of. Uh, I mean, Twitter is obviously the main, or I mean, not the main, but one of the obvious choices in terms of marketing. But going a little deeper than that, um, just finding obscure forums where these kind of people that like this game are hanging out just engaging with them and talking to them about the product and getting them excited for uh, what we have in store is kind of where we're uh, what, what I'm primarily working on at the moment, actually. Okay. And and what are your thoughts on where gaming is going to be, where indie gaming is going? Um, I mean, I, I know in the pre-interview you kind of mentioned that you've been in the scene for a while. What are your thoughts about where it's going? And yeah, that's it. Um, well, where it's going, um, I mean, it's kind of like I've 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 been on Twitter and I've been uh, following all of the development of countless projects, and I mean, it just seems like there's just 
people are trying to do what they want to do. It's just basically what it boils down to. I mean, there's uh, with we have Unreal, uh, Unreal Engine becoming yeah. free. We have Unity becoming free. We have so many people that are just uh, you know even at a very young age that are able to whip some great stuff together and just kind of get it out there. And I mean, that's awesome. Like everybody's learning, they're learning programming, they're learning design in that process. And, and you know, in hopes that they might be able to make that next big Minecraft or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, that's awesome. Like focusing on like being the next big whale is, you know, it's, I would say it's kind of healthy uh, in that you kind of step up your game in order to, to uh, present that kind of product. But also at the same time, um, there's a lot of indie projects that are just, you know, whipped together in Game Maker using the prefab, uh, you know, gray boxes and stuff like that. And you have these uh, people that are like, look at my next greatest thing. So, I mean, it's kind of hit and miss, basically, what we see in the, uh, in the, in the indie game uh, development community. It's just so wide and vast, but uh, it's pretty exciting nonetheless. And do you feel that there is going to be another next Minecraft? I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Next Minecraft? Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's just that's. I guess what what was an indie game before Minecraft that that kind I'm of kind had of, that? I'm kind of waiting for the next like VR sensation game, like where everyone needs to go buy like VR goggles, like the Oculus. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen, okay. but I'm not holding my breath at this point. <laughs> yeah, what what are your thoughts on virtual reality, I guess, as it relates to indie gaming or gaming in general? So um, we have Oculus in the office, and we test it out. And yeah. I thought of like designing games for the, the Oculus. Um, at this point, uh, I, I wouldn't be able to do it because when, when I use the Oculus, I still feel kind of queasy and kind of sick. But okay. as the technology gets better, right, like, it, it might be, you know, we might lean towards that. Everyone might start, like, leaning towards making, like, uh, VR-based games. Well, when you say you feel queasy, is it because you're trying a first-person shooter, or is this even just slow-mo, casual-type stuff? It's, it's, it's uh, even the slow stuff so it still feels kind of queasy. And, okay. I, and, I, and I do wear glasses, right? Okay. So maybe that's an issue, but... Um, yeah, I still feel kind of off when I uh, put those goggles, but the immersion experience is amazing. Like, yeah, it's, it's better than the Virtual Boy when I was a kid. <laughs> a <Okay>. lot better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, have you thought of also having your your project on Oculus just as a way to promote it, as a way for marketing? Or I, I, I don't see our game fitting into the Oculus. Okay. Uh, I think. To be able to be playable on the Oculus, you have to design the game originally for the Oculus. Mm -hmm. So just uh, tracking our game to the Oculus right now would be like really weird. Like, yeah, because yeah. it's just for game design and specifically. Because yeah. I mean, when you have something in front of your face and when you have something in your hand, yeah, you have, like the des design principles are radically uh -huh. different. So like. I've been going to a bunch of conferences lately, and VR is the hot topic that everyone wants. Yeah, I know. But, okay, yeah. <laughs> Go but, ahead. I, but I'm just saying that it's just, you have to kind of rethink uh, everything that comes. To, no one has really cracked that mm -hmm. code yet. Yeah. So, um, I mean, do you feel yeah. that VR is just overhyped then? I mean... Well... I actually, uh, so in SEMA this year, the auto trade show, they were using the Oculus and VR 
to train like blue collar workers how to weld, and I thought that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, and I think uh, for gaming, it might be somewhat. What's the word for it? Uh, fad? Uh, not, not really a fad, <laughs> but like kind of like the Wii when it first Gimm- came out, gimmicky, right? <laughs> but I I see VR as a practical use or of entertainment. Yeah. Very but live. but really, if there was augmented reality, do you think that they would actually be using VR to train? Instead yeah. of, oh, so you would say that they would use VR over AR, because I feel like AR might even work better than VR, even for training, if if they had good augmented reality. Well, have you they, seen the, like the Microsoft uh, like Hololens? Yeah, yeah, I've seen videos of it. Yeah, you've seen videos. So even even AR seems like, I'll like it, again the technology is advancing and like we don't yeah. know what's going to happen in five years time. But even AR right now, there's there's a huge delay in AR right now. So whatever the oh yeah, so whatever the like uh, object is, it's trying to like augment. It needs to like it needs a lot of processing power. So there was literally like a thirty second delay on some things on the Hololens, right? So okay, no, sorry, not thirty seconds. I may be exaggerating that, but yeah. a few second delay on some of the things that it had to like capitalize in its image. Okay. And so, do you feel then that mobile and PC will then be the platform? for at least the next five years? I mean, because that's that's really the question, is that for indie developers, I think one of the, you know, there's a lot of ways to kind of get successful, it seems. But one of the ways that that I've seen happen is that there's a new platform that takes shape. And then if you're the first game that does it right on that platform or leverages that platform in the right way, you can establish a presence. And so we've seen that with Angry Birds, or uh, Temple Run and Subway Surfers, um, or even Clash of Clans, where they actually designed for tablet first over phone, and and so the and so for indie developers, the question is: is what is going to be that next angle where they can take their really great game and actually actually get it, like actually make it so it it takes hold, it, it gets traction. Hmm. And so Steam was that for for a while too. I just don't know. I know people are doing well with Steam. All of these platforms, people can still succeed in. Uh, but to have that iconic game, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure if in any platform lifecycle where the iconic game has come come out several years after the platform, it might have. And maybe you have a better understanding of situations where that's happened than me. I mean, I guess Blizzard has kind of done that, right, with several genres, but... Yeah, they reinvented many genres there, Yeah, right? and those have come out afterwards, so... But even World of Warcraft, that was kind of at a time when the internet was taking... Like, you know, that online gaming could well, happen. World, oh, World yeah. of Warcraft stems from the, you know, the main <laughs> people behind Blizzard just yeah. and playing EverQuest, right? Yeah. So it's just rehashing <laughs> of that, um... Yeah. Uh, and I guess doing it well. So, and doing it very well. So maybe maybe I misspoke, <laughs> and actually the iconic game can come out whenever it's done well. Yeah, perhaps. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, just briefly on that point. I mean, we're mentioning Steam, and we're mentioning like uh, the App Store, and all of these things. And I mean, the problem there is just oversaturation. Yeah. I mean, like we look at Steam Green Greenlight, and there's just tons of content. And you said earlier, there's like a lot of noise in the industry, and that's absolutely right. Um, I think what uh, developers need to embrace is just quality 
Um, because I mean, if we're shoveling out a lot, <laughs> just, you know, we're shoveling out a lot of product, we're doing exactly that. Um, there's not really any time or care spent in these games. And if they succeed or not, well, who cares? We got 50 in the pipeline, right? Yeah. So it's taking the time and just really just spending a lot of time in pre-production, a lot of time thinking about the game design documents, all of these, all of these, like, these these high-level things that need to be fully thought of, thought about before heading into uh, full release of the product. So, but but is is that, that the best way to engage the community? Because you look at even Minecraft, right? You referred to Minecraft, and it was it was a completely iterative process where it started out as a forum post, and he just kept on iterating like crazy, at least satisfying those small. The, co- the small customer base or audience base, and it kind of grew from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, and yet, the approach that you're talking about is more like, look, perfect everything else, and then release it. And and where do you feel is the best approach? Because it seemed, and I don't know if that's even the case now, but it seemed like for a while the audience was also interested in how the game was developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and just even getting updates daily as kind of like a pseudo blog post, but the game was, you know, the blog post. You know, um, you know, you're always I at, le- at least I feel for indie developers, you're always trying to find that novel new approach mm-hmm. that people are open to or that actually allows you to get exposure. You also need a really good product, but sometimes people have a good product or that they have the chance of it becoming a good product, but they don't get the traction. Or do you feel that you've seen Steam Greenlight and you've seen most of the games that do six that that don't succeed are all bad. Like you've never seen a good game not succeed. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I've been doing like a lot of research and Kickstarter and all of this and blah, blah, blah. And there's like countless postmortems uh, on the topic of just like, why didn't my game get funded? Well, the primary thing you have to consider is number one, like you need a good game. So yeah. that's kind of like where it's all coming from. So, I mean, we can go right in the face talking about like why this Kickstarter failed. Well, Kotaku didn't, co- Kotaku didn't cover me, you know, like that guy at Rock, Paper, Shotgun didn't cover me. Yeah. Well, look at the, look at the, look at the project. Like, you know, you can clearly tell there's not that care and quality put in what you're presenting. And I think the, uh, gamers as an audience are very intelligent and they can pick up that uh, instantly. And they're <laughs> they're going to, you know, tear you apart. <laughs> so you're saying that all Kickstarter projects that have failed, none of them were, like, necessarily the most awesome games. Like, there's still a chance for quality to win. Well, I mean... Ideally, um, okay. but I mean, it also is a very, uh, very strong marketing play. So I mean, even if you have something that's subpar, if you're appealing to the correct niche audience and you can market it effectively enough, then that's probably going to guarantee your success. But uh, uh, Mike and I were talking about the potato salad Kickstarter recently. So I mean, like, are you familiar with that one? No, at all? I'm not. What what is it? Oh, okay. Um, so just this one guy uh, just decided to kind of poke fun at the whole Kickstarter thing, and he made a campaign where he wanted to make a potato salad, and I believe he needed ten dollars, um, and he ended up making uh, almost sixty thousand. Almost sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I've, See that's that's what I mean, dude. He got around three thousand, and then Polygon picked it up, yeah. and then it just blew up. And then he got 
and then he's like, okay, well, I'm gonna have stretch goals now, and he literally is like, oh, okay, I'll yeah. put more seasoning in, or I'll get, make two bowls. Like, <laughs> like oh, I'm gonna say your name while I'm making the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but dude, I mean, that's that's why I feel that serious games, you know, games where you actually aren't as ridiculous as this potato salad guy, it could be dangerous. Like, you know, and, and how does that relate to your project? Because because look at that, dude. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't even know about it. And yet you're telling me that Potato Salad has gotten funded over some of these other developers that I've talked to. <laughs> I've even interviewed them and are like, you know, we poured this love and that love into the game. And yeah. so <laughs> what what are your thoughts? I mean, and so so where's the balance between the seriousness or the value of the core gameplay and also the entertainment of just being ridiculous? Like, you know, you look even at Clash of Clans and their marketing is a lot of humor, mm-hmm. right? And so this is something that I've I've had a discussion with, with someone else on the show, which is that it seems like you need to blend fun. You need to, you need to have core mechanics that are fun. And even with the potato salad, it doesn't even hold true, but, but you need to have fun and funny, yeah. right? Like, so, so what are your thoughts on that? And, and how are you, are you even considering doing that related to your current project? Um, fun and funny. Well, just or even novel, because because the other thing is that at least the people that I've interviewed in terms of Kickstarter campaigns that have worked. Um, so, for example, I interviewed the guy who did the House of Many Doors. Um, he was do he had some novel mechanics too, and it and it obviously did get picked up by some of the bigger um, media places. But but yeah, so. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah. You, I guess. Um, what do you think is needed to stand out? That actually, um, also, is the game itself. You know that 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 stems from the game itself. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mike? Think about that. Yeah. Well, I'm just. Uh, well, with our project, it's just kind of. Uh, it's basically the game we always wanted to. So, I mean, that's kind of the basic thing we're coming from. But then uh, in terms of, like, marketing of, like, quirky kind of stuff like that, I mean, sure, like, once we're down the line shooting some, like, funny uh, videos of, like, like, you know, Shovel Knight's uh, stretch goal of the, uh, what is it, the gender-bending thing, like, sure, we'll just throw in some random stuff like that to... uh, you know, get that whole funny thing, but uh, the project itself is kind of our project. I mean, is kind of yeah. uh, taking a more serious tone at this point. I'm going to say um, it's kind of going back to the old school action RPGs and then kind of blending the new modern mechanics with it. So, uh, for us personally, I I don't think that kind of marketing angle would work. Okay. What I'm hoping is that we're just going to uh, ride the uh, quality and overall uh, uh, general greatness in the presentation to kind of uh, drive some traction to it is what I'm hoping for. So, yeah. Okay. And and how does, or does YouTube and, you know, the whole Let's Play thing, does that figure into your marketing or what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, once we have something playable, uh, I would love to reach out to all of the Let's Players and everyone uh, who kind of does that same kind of uh, content creation because, I mean, it's just fantastic marketing. You see people having fun with your product, 
and then in turn they want to if uh, the product is priced accordingly they want to in turn have fun with that product as well so it's it's just it just makes sense to kind of do that let's play angle and specific twitch tv um you know oh yeah having a bunch of uh you know popular youtubers playing in a in a instance dungeon together for example i mean that just writes itself for marketing right so yeah and i think i've heard of developers using twitch as a way to just interact with their audience is that something you're also considering or yeah i know uh you're familiar with lambier uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he streams his Rami streams his uh, development daily, and I mean that's that's awesome. I think he was the first one to kind of pioneer that kind of approach, um, and that's that's great. But uh, for us, kind of, uh, it might be something we would consider later on down the line once we have something more tangible to be able to show people. Um, but. Uh, Right now, it's just kind of lingering in the development stages. So, I mean, we're kind of just, you know, uh, not ready for that, I'm going to say. Okay. And I guess any other things related to your game or areas related to your game that you'd like to discuss or um, share with the audience? Um, well, I mean, um, if anything that we've been talking about today sounds interesting, by all means, um, Check out our YouTube channel. It's uh, slash Thrive Games, and uh, check out our Kickstarter announcement trailer. And uh, if you like it, consider sharing it amongst your friends. And uh, stay tuned for the Kickstarter uh, campaign going live on January the nineteenth. And what uh, do you have? Like, what would say? What would be your say? Two to three suggestions or insights that you would. Um, that you could potentially share with the audience who are also indie game developers on ways to either, I guess, pursue a successful indie project or succeed in whatever they want to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just start right now. Like just literally just start right now. Um, that's basically the best advice I could give. Just, uh, if you're thinking about doing something like don't continuously research this topic, just, literally get your feet wet and get out there and start doing it. If you want to be a designer, start making games. You want to be a developer, download something and start making games. Um, simple as that. Uh, and in terms of Kickstarter, well, if you're looking towards marketing your project, uh, you're going to have to realize that it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So um, just launching a project and hoping that you know, taking them in the mentality of we built it, they will come. Um, starting to make your Twitter page once the campaign is live, for example, is like that's not what you want to be doing. You want to be doing that months in advance. Um, you want to be open with your development. You want to share some works in progress, but also at the same time, you want to present that element of professionalism. So it's kind of a tough balance there, but you just have to cater it to your own personal case and uh, adjust according accordingly, I would say. Okay. And one other thing I guess I actually forgot to touch on was what do you think of this user-generated content in games or, or through games? What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I personally think it's going to be uh, taking off um, because uh, if we look at Mario Maker, for example... Um, yeah. This is Nintendo saying, 
hey, you like Mario, right? Well, why don't you go make your own levels? Here you go. Here's the gameplay mechanics. We all know them. Simple. Now you get to be the designer. And, I mean, empowering the player to have that, I mean, I think that's a really awesome thing. And we're kind of, you know, there's been forums being like, uh, I want Zelda Maker. I want Metroid Maker. I want whatever Maker. So yeah. I'm kind of, I think this is the next trend in gaming. And um, in our project, Dragon of Legends, we're hoping to kind of uh, be within that trend and be one of the pioneers who are embracing that. Do you feel that the user-generated content will be mainly at the either content, specific content level or level or level maker level, or do you feel that it's going to be... What, what was interesting about Minecraft is that literally it became a storytelling tool, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and so, so, so yeah, what, what are your thoughts on how to best leverage user-generated content? Because I guess level, the Mario level maker is cool, but you can't tell as many stories with that versus something like Minecraft or what, what are your thoughts? That's true. Um, So, I mean, Mario Maker, uh, so if we're just looking uh, timeline-wise, so let's say we have a young person who is interested in kind of this design element of games. So, I mean, they're booting up the Mario Maker, um, but now they realize that they're drastically limited to what they want to do. So maybe in turn they go on their computer and start learning how to do this thing in an actual programming language, or in turn go and hack a ROM and make the game exactly how you want it to be. Okay. So it's kind of, um, I think it would be kind of an entry level uh, entry level way to get into the game design. And I think it's great for that. And uh, same with Minecraft, you know, you have these rabid fans who are making amazing mods for the game, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's their own kind of accord that's just leading this. Like, you don't have Mojang saying do these mods for us, they're doing that of their own free will, just because they're excited to do that. And I mean, having a game that supports that freedom, I think is, you know, a great thing. And uh, it'll prove its longevity on the market, as as Minecraft has, right? Yeah, and and that's one of the reasons why you went with Java, because it lends itself to this, right? Is that, if I'm understanding correctly, or? Yep, that's that's exactly right, yeah. And have you seen any situations where games where you can mod it haven't necessarily taken off? I mean, like, is is that the core... You know, I'm trying to distill what are going to be the core design principles of something like user-generated content within games to successfully, you know, to be successful. Mm-hmm. Because there are there are games where you can create user generated content, but maybe there's certain reasons why that those haven't taken off versus ones that have. So that's why I was breaking up the point with Minecraft. What's interesting is that you can build worlds and tell stories around those worlds, and that's and and the way you can build those worlds is so flexible that you can tell potentially a lot of stories mm-hmm. versus something like uh, the level maker in Mario or even some of the other things that you may have seen that I may not be aware of. Yeah. So, I mean, same point with the Mario Maker. So, I mean, when we're running around in creative mode, for example, in Minecraft, I mean, this is the same thing where I would parallel it to the entry-level kind of design elements as Mario Maker, right? So then once someone gets kind of interested in 
that aspect, they might go and turn and be like, hey, you know, uh, Minecraft would be awesome if it had X in it, and I'm going to make that happen. And, yeah, I think that's a really cool thing. Um, yeah. Okay. And once again, so for the audience out there, what site can they go to to, to find out more information about your games and potentially check out your Kickstarter? Yep. Uh, so the website is thrivegames.net. Okay, and that's T-H-R-I-V-E-G-A-M-E-S dot net. Exactly. Right? Okay, yep. cool. Or dragonoflegends.com. They both bring you to the same place. Okay, cool. Um, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank yeah. you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.